The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This is the Ellis Martin Report. You'll hear expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. We want you to know up front, companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. The following segment is sponsored by Excalibur Resources Limited, trading on the CNSX as XBR and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as EXCFF. Excalibur Resources is a Toronto-based emerging junior gold producer focused on the acquisition, investment, and development of small gold and silver mines that include a gold mine currently producing in Zacatecas, Mexico. Dudley Baker is the editor of CommonStockWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Hey, great to be here, Ellis. Now, you're going to be coming to California soon from your hideaway in Mexico to attend the uh, Hard Assets Conference, the, the big-time uh, metal show up in San Francisco uh, at the end of November. Now, we've had a crazy lackluster market. What kind of attendance, what kind of audience, what kind of mood do you expect next month? Oh, my goodness. That's a hell of an opening question, Ellis. It's like, what can we expect? We cannot expect a lot of enthusiasm. The markets, unfortunately, they are what they are, and this is depressed as hell. I'd venture to say, talking about the resource sector, it doesn't matter where you're at in this food chain of the resource sector. If you're the president of any of the companies, if you're a driller, if you're a newsletter writer, kind of like me, like you, in your world with the marketing, Everybody has seen uh, better days. And so the overall sentiment, I do not look to be very upbeat. Now, you will say we've got, what, five, six weeks before the conference. I think it's November 25, 26 in November. Things can change. We know that. But it's going to take a little while to to really make a major change in the investor sentiment here in the resource sector. So, you know, I'm going with eyes wide open. It's always a lot of the same players, so to speak, with uh, you know, Rick Roll, Frank Holmes will be there. It's always nice for me to see guys that I know and, and have associated with through the years. You're going to be there. You know, A lot of the companies that I own shares in are going to be there. So it's always great to see your friends and other colleagues here. But I know that we are all, to one degree or another, put it this way, the pain is probably pretty bad for everybody. Everybody wants to put a little better positive spin on it. But it is what it is. We've all seen much, much better days. But I'm excited to go. I think it's uh, it's still going to be a great show. And I always try to be one of the most optimistic guys because we know once the bottom is in place, then we're going to have some great days ahead of us in the resource sector once again. So basically, it's just a place for all of us in the business and investors to go and have a good time and maybe we'll find something we want to invest in. 
Oh, yeah. And it's like if you already own shares in any of the companies, I mean, obviously their management is there and where you can actually, you know, pick their brain as to what the latest is with their company. So whether it's finding new companies or the current companies that you own, and again, there's always between the speakers, and I've got a session and we'll be talking about warrants, etc. And I know I've, I've heard from a few of my subscribers, they're in the Bay Area and they'll be there. And so it's always uh, great, in my case, to see some of my current subscribers and get to visit firsthand again. But now, all of these conferences provide a great venue for education to find possibly new companies that you're interested in investing in. I just say, especially those listening, if you've never been to one, you're really missing out. This is where you can really get your juices flowing and see what this business is all about. Before I started my service, I enjoyed going to these conferences just as a, a an average investor. Back then, I loved going to one that was in Las Vegas. They don't have that specific conference anymore, but I mean, Vegas was always a great venue. And while you're in Vegas, you just time your trip around a resource conference, and it was really fun. But I would always go just as Joe Blow Investor. Now I can go as Joe Blow Investor plus having the newsletter of the commonstockwarrants.com. And it all comes together. So I always enjoy it myself. You can always catch some of us at the lobby bar at the Marriott up there in various places. I mean, we're just hanging out with presidents of these companies and people that work for them yeah. and, and friends of ours and investors just uh, having a good time and enjoying life while we're at it. No, that's what's so cool. And you see, you see everybody in, in a relaxed environment. Yeah, I forgot about the lobby bar. That's always a cool place to hang out. Whether you're a drinker or non-drinker, so we don't want anybody to think that we're all overly indulging here so it's just a great place to hang out and to mix and mingle see who is in that lobby bar at any given time well, it's when, always fun so I'm, I'm really excited about it when we go out to dinner with some of these folks people new and people that we know you know we're learning more about the companies we're learning more about the people that run the companies and this so relationships are really really important yeah. in this business oh yeah yeah no I, I enjoy it I need to touch base with some of the companies that I own there's a few that are going to be there that I've actually done mine tours and so looking forward to just seeing who is going to be there, but yeah, whether we can you know, set something up. A lot of times uh, there's no set meetings or set dinner plans. It all ends up just being a spontaneous situation. And sometimes those are the best. It might have been San Francisco last year at dinner uh, yeah, with the president of three different little mining companies. I thought, well, this is pretty cool. And, you know, I, I think I own shares in all of them. And so you really get an intimate situation, and that, that really is cool. But net-net, it's always just a great venue to get your juices going. Again, I'm, I'm sitting down here in Mexico outside of Guadalajara, and so, you know, I'm always starved for conversation with respect to the mining sector, just to go to lunch, go to dinner, or whatever. It's go to here that's uh, like a mining, not a geo, but mining engineer, does some work for us with Common Stock Watts. He's in Acapulco. There's been a big mining conference, probably the biggest of all in, in Acapulco here biggest in Mexico, an annual or every other year event. And so I'm looking forward to getting his feedback. Again, totally different conference because this would not be from a, a retail standpoint of investors coming down. This is all about the business of mining. I and mean, this is about the drilling equipment and all the clothing and the business side of the business, if you will. You know, the big caterpillars, the heavy-duty equipment 
that is used in the mining sector. And so much of mining right now is going on right here in Mexico in my backyard, which is really cool. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is proudly sponsored by Excalibur Resources Limited. Excalibur Resources is one of the best performing mining companies trading on CNSX under the symbol XBR and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as EXCFF. Excalibur is focused on the acquisition, investment, and development of small gold and silver mines. It's a unique strategy called micro-mining, seeking shallow, high-grade, existing, and historic gold deposits, the best strategy in recently depressed markets. The company is focused on the Cataneva Gold Project in the Pinos Bonanza Gold District in Zacatecas, Mexico. Initial production in the Monera Cataneva mine is about 50 tons per day with one shift and is expected to expand to 150 tons per day with three shifts. Excalibur has a stated goal to pay dividends, and with a 16 cent share price, the intended yield would be 6.25%. Learn more about Excalibur Resources by visiting their website, excaliburresources.ca, or be sure to click on the Excalibur logo on the homepage of our website, Ellis Martin Report. I definitely look forward to your visit. We always have a great time. You're going to spend a few days in L.A. before we head up to San Francisco. I don't know what, what mining conversation goes on here in Los Angeles, but we could definitely uh, talk about the beach, talk about cars, and other things that people do here. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, it's always a good time to, to visit. But no, we'll fill a couple of days and then get to San Francisco and have a great conference, conference etc. I'll tell you, let me let me tell you one thing I'm going to do as we're recording this, and I'm, I'm going to do an audio for all my subscribers here in, in just a few hours. And, and I've decided I'm, I'm going to dangle a couple of more carrots for subscribers and for, let's say, those that may be listening that are not current subscribers. So if you were a subscriber to my goal service, you actually get to hear my weekly audio that I do. And so I've got a little watch list. You get to see all of my portfolio at the moment, but I've also got a watch list that we've been following here for a couple of weeks. And I'm going to add a couple of stocks to that. And one that really, uh, Ed Skoda that I mentioned recently brought to my attention in the past, I would have blown this off. I'm not going to mention the name, okay? So it's like they're not, they're not a sponsor of this segment, so we're not, we're not going to mention other names here. But just to dangle a carrot, this is a company that's sitting at around $2 at the moment. It's got a gigantic project making up in Alaska, $200 million cash in the bank. It's going to take a lot of money to pull this off. But they're sitting here damn near at the low. You, know, you can look back in, in the previous market's decline, and it's nothing for this stock to go eight to ten times from the low back up to a high. So there's no doubt this is going to be easily, when the markets do turn and we get some excitement again, let's just say go from you know $2 to $20 is going to basically be a no-brainer. These are the kind of opportunities that I think all of us in this market environment need to be looking at. Again, this company is going, it's always going to be here. They're sitting with $200 million cash in the bank. It's a pretty cool situation when Ed mentioned the name of the company to me. I, I said, oh, man, I don't want anything to do with that. I've been burnt before. He said, no, you need to take another look. You know, And I, and I finally did. And I said, holy shit, this is on my radar screen. If we was to take another plunge down in gold, we could easily see this below the $2 range, uh, you know, maybe a dollar and a half or so. It's so... It's going to represent incredible value. And so I'm going to put this on my watch list here this afternoon. And so it's right in front of all of the subscribers when they're listening to my audio. That'll be right in front. So 
just to kind of dangle that carrot. A lot of interesting situations out there in this terrible market environment that we're in the middle of. So. Well, the warm breeze just went up my skirt, and you know what that means. So, uh, hell of a tease there, <laughs> Dudley. And we're gonna have we're gonna have to make sure that we're all subscribed to your service before we can learn who that is. Very nice job, Dudley. Thanks so much okay. for joining us today in the program. It's been a pleasure, as always, uh, speaking with you. Thanks, Alex. We'll talk to you again soon. I've been speaking with Dudley Baker of CommonStockWarrants.com. Dudley is a shareholder of Sponsor Excalibur Resources. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com. The preceding segment has been sponsored by Excalibur Resources Limited, trading on the CNSX as XBR and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as EXCFF. Excalibur Resources is a Toronto-based emerging junior gold producer focused on the acquisition, investment, and development of small gold and silver mines that include a gold mine currently producing in Zacatecas, Mexico. Contact our sponsor companies directly. They're on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Ian Chalmers is the managing director of Alkane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Alkane has significant assets of zirconium in its Dumbo Zirconia project with rare earths and rare metals, and then gold in its Tomlingley Gold project, as well as copper in New South Wales, Australia. Ian, welcome back to the program. Oh, hi, Alice. It's nice to be joining you again. Catch us up with the latest doings with regard to Alkane Resources and the Dubbo Zirconia Project, and of course, the Tommingley Gold Project. A lot's been going on. Obviously, the two projects are advancing now at a fairly busy pace, uh, but with Dubbo, first of all, I think we've talked previously about the joint venture we put in place with Tribarker, the Austrian special metal alloy company. There now, we have a deal with them that will take, uh, will help us, first of all, produce high-quality ferro-niobium, and then uh, also they'll take all of the output so that was a, a good thing to get out of the way. The environmental impact statement is in with the government and hopefully in the next week or so goes to the next major step which is public exhibitions and so it'll get reviewed by uh, the public and any other interested parties. Big steps in that area. Meanwhile we continue on our marketing exercise to make sure we can sell all of our products and the financing side of it's also pushing forward and fortunately there are some glimmers out there, a glimmer of hope out there that the finance world has started to improve and we do see some Certainly in the debt market, some substantial funding become available. So that's Dubbo in a nutshell. And then Tommingley, the construction's about 70% completed. So we're on target for a, probably a February start-up to start producing gold at this stage. Gold market's still a bit nervous. It's still a bit fragile and swings pretty dramatically from time to time. But given that the Australian dollar has weakened against the US dollar at Gold price has gone up reasonably strongly in the last month, so we're now looking at a, a pretty good Australian dollar price, which should see us producing around about $25, $30 million a year cash flow. So that'll be great to get that project up and running, and that'll be doing that cash flow during 2014. So, yeah, a lot, lot happening and uh, all good news. You have a new mining-friendly prime minister in Australia. You've done well under a Labor government. Do you think you'll do even better under a mining-friendly Conservative government? Look, we believe so. I guess Conservative governments tend to claim that they're more business-friendly. They're certainly claiming to be more mining-friendly. That's uh, because one of their first plans is to remove the mining tax, which the previous government put in about two years ago, uh, and that was a tax on excess profits, as they called it, which is an interesting terminology in its own right. Uh, they're also talking about revamping or removing the carbon tax which we've had imposed on us also for the last year or so. So if they can do those things in the next six months, it'll certainly be a positive step forward for us. Now what about New South Wales? Will that have anything to do with the regional government and your projects? Not specifically. 
specifically, although the New South Wales government has been a conservative government now for about three years, so um, that's had some changes. The state governments tend not to have dramatic impact on the industries generally. Um, you certainly would hope that a conservative government would be more pro-mining, but in New South Wales they've still got a few issues that they've got to sort out, and mainly to do with land use conflict. We have mining operations conflicting with prime agricultural land and, and those sorts of issues, so that one still hasn't been resolved very clearly. Uh, there's still some ongoing problems, but again, fortunately, it doesn't impact on where we operate. How close are you to production with regard to DZP? Look, at this stage, the target is still early 2016, so the, the key steps for us now are, as I mentioned, the EIS is in with the government. It's about to go through the next stage. We believe that should be approved by the middle of next year, and that should line up pretty well with our financing program. It, it's a big amount of money. We're talking about a billion dollar project, so there's a lot of work involved in putting that in place. The current belief is that that should be around the middle of next year as well. If we can do that and also at the beginning of next year maybe bring forward some of the long lead items including things like doing detailed design. If we can do all the engineering detailed design it'll start that at the beginning of the year. Put the order in for some of the long lead items and one of our biggest is a sulfuric acid plant. If we can lodge the orders for that then once we get the final uh, approval in place plus the financing we can go into construction in the second half of 2014. That should then lead us to production early in 2016. So the target is still achievable, we believe. There's obviously still some hurdles, but we're still comfortable we can get into production early 2016. So it just takes time to put all of that in place. It's not like you could start tomorrow, even if you could. No, that's right. I mean, first of all, state approval is the important thing to get out of the way, and uh, there is a lot of bureaucracy to work our way through with that, and of course the financing. When you go out to raise a billion dollars, it doesn't matter what the project is, whether it's rare metals, rare earth, or gold, or iron ore, or something like that. It still takes a fair bit of time to put it all together. You know, I'd love to say, yes, we could start constructing uh, next month, but uh, the reality is we're still maybe a good eight to nine months away from that. Ian, once again, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks again for joining me today on the program. Uh, thanks, Ellis. Thank you. I've been speaking with the Managing Director and CEO of Alkane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. I'm Ellis Martin. Join me now for an interview with Carter Clues. Carter Clues is an award-winning writer as well as a veteran marketing and public relations consultant with clients in the political arena and private sector. As creative director at Information Communications, he helped market the original Psychic Friends Network. The Psychic Friends Network Incorporated is a publicly traded company and a paid sponsor of the Ellis Martin Report, trading under the symbol PFNI. Carter, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Ellis. It's great to be here. I appreciate the invitation. Now, you and I are both investors in the Psychic Friends Network, and I'm going to ask you straight out, why are you an investor, and what do you see as the potential for the company and shareholders of PFNI? Ellis, I'm an investor because I think the uh, Psychic Friends Network has great potential, and that's based on both its past track record, of which I was a part, I'm pleased to say, and what I see as future developments. When you say you were part of the past of the company, does this mean that you helped get the network up and running in the early 90s? Yes, in the early 90s, I was part of the original Psychic Friends Network, when we started out with virtually next to nothing. 
and ended up with the only infomercial that made a billion dollars, the only billion-dollar infomercial in TV history. As a matter of fact, at one time, the Psychic Friends Network was the only TV show that was on 24 hours somewhere in the world other than I Love Lucy. So that's a pretty good track record. It was extremely popular. So you've been a shareholder for a long time then? No, because remember, the original Psychic Friends Network was privately owned, so there were no shares to hold. I wrote the Psychic Friends Network. I helped write the Psychic Friends Network. It was part of the productions and worked on all the promotional material. I was employed by the Psychic Friends Network at that time. So you're a new shareholder, as this company has just been public for a year or two, correct? I am a new shareholder of the new Psychic Friends Network, and I was eager to become a shareholder based upon the track record that we established. We were doing 200 million dollars a year back in the days when calling a psychic and getting psychic readings was very new to people. When you talked about psychics back in those days, Alice, you know, it was a cold water walk up in some back alley. Psychic Friends Network took it from that to prime time. And now, you know, we're in a position where we can not only take it back to prime time, but also bring in a whole new audience of young people and people are plugged in and wired. And I think that's very exciting. Now, I'd like to stress that you and I are in this for financial gain. We'd like to see the stock price go up. We absolutely want to see the stock price go up. Obviously, as stockholders, the higher the stock prices rise, the better it is for us. And it's wonderful for my part to be involved in the kind of marketing activities and strategic development that I believe will help those stock prices rise. Well, the share price is near two cents now. What do you think will bring the price up potentially? The reason I think people are going to invest in the new Psychic Friends Network is they're going to look at the track record of the PFN Psychic Friends Network in its original incarnation. Realize the team that put that together is now back and putting the new Psychic Friends Network together. And they're also going to realize that we're going in new directions now, which frankly, I believe can be even more profitable, more profitable for this reason. The production costs are much less. Now, in the coming months, you're going to see the website is up now. They're going to see that. They're going to see that it's new and exciting. It has live video chat. Plus, the first commercial is in the can now. I've seen it. Matter of fact, I did a press release on it. When people start to see that, they're going to say, wow, this is the same quality, the same type of compelling message that the original Psychic Friends Network put out. And I think people are going to respond, callers and investors. Like any other entertainment service on the internet, a user is going to be able to dial in either on your iPhone, iPad, or other smartphone or tablet and pay just a few dollars for that entertainment. Absolutely. You're going to be able to come in on your smartphone, on your home phone. You're going to be able to come in on your computer, on Skype, from anywhere in the world, and pay just a few dollars for the entertainment component of the Psyche Friends Network. It's very entertaining, and to me, it's also very informative. Well, certainly, many in the financial sector and in the general public at large do not know that this is a publicly traded company. And when they find out, one could see a great deal of attention once again to the share price or the stock. I think when people see it's out there for the bargain price they can get in right now, it's a penny stock, obviously, they're going to realize this is a low-risk, potentially high-reward investment that has a track record of success, the Psychic Friends Network. And they're going to be able to look back and see where it was previously when we dominated the field. And I think they're going to say, hey, this is a shot I want to take. And I think they can look forward to a very rewarding experience. Well, Carter, I certainly do appreciate your speaking with me today on the Ellis Martin Report. I look forward to chatting with you again in the near future as the Psychic Friends Network continues its rollout. It's great, Alice. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very, very much for the opportunity. I've been chatting with public relations consultant Carter Clues, who is also an investor of our client company, the Psychic Friends Network Incorporated, trading under the symbol PFNI. Listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com, or download the entire program on iTunes. Getting hungry? Eat knowledge. Find it at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com.
I'm Ellis Martin. In this segment, I'm speaking with Greg Johnson, the president and CEO of Prophecy Platinum. Prophecy Platinum trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NKL and on the OTCQX as PNIKF. Prophecy Platinum is a mining company focused on the acquisition and development of Platinum Group Metals, PGM projects, in politically stable, mining-friendly jurisdictions. Prophecy's 100% owned Wellgreen property is one of the world's largest underdeveloped nickel sulfide projects with a very unique platinum and palladium resource that creates very compelling economics economics that you'll hear about in this interview. Mr. Johnson has a long history in the mining sector, beginning with Placer Dome, now Barrick Gold. He was a co-founder of widely successful Nova Gold and most recently helmed South American Silver. Greg, welcome back to the program. It's good to be back. Now, you've been able to further identify the PGMs, the Platinum Group Metals, at the Wellgreen Project and the Canadian Yukon. We've kicked off our exploration program mid-summer. And we've been working away drilling in, in some of the areas that uh, have had known mineralization. And we were drilling at the east end of the deposit into an area that uh, had historically been recognized as, as part of the, the main wild green tabular deposit. This is a zone that's between 300 and 900 feet in thickness and runs you know, several grams of uh, PGM metal per ton. And drilled into something, uh, a new zone that we're quite excited about. Extends the, the main tabular well green deposit into what looks like connects it to uh, another deposit called the North Arm and potentially could be a much larger ore body and has uh, some pretty spectacular grades in it, uh, zones that are running you know, four to five grams in platinum metals. And uh, that's, that's pretty exciting material. Now, come on, Greg, you're leaving something out here. There's too much excitement in your voice. What haven't you told us yet? Well, this new discovery is quite exciting, and we don't yet have the assays back from the laboratory, but geologically, we have just drilled the biggest geologic intersection we've ever had on the property, some 800 meters of continuous ultramafic rocks, and ultramafic rocks are, like diamonds, the host of our platinum mineralization, and so it's by far the largest intercept we've ever had on the property. The team's pretty excited because that was what we were hoping we might hit in that hole. We discussed it in our news release that we posted here just recently, if listeners are interested to take a look at the, at the maps, but you know, we're excited that we're on to something really significant here, and this could be really a significant new development for the project. Excellent. So when can we hear more news about it? You know, we're anticipating we all should have a good flow of news coming out over the next month or two, particularly these results of this big hole that we've drilled on the new discovery in the Far East. Uh, listeners should be ready for news. They can go to our website and sign up for our email list if they'd like to get it as soon as it comes out. But we should have a good steady flow of news here over the next month or two. Platinum, we could say of late, has been on par with gold, if not a little higher. And of course, it's an industrial metal as well. It's used in catalytic converters, and that market never ceases to grow. Pretty much we've been seeing year-on-year growth almost continuously since the 1980s in the uh, platinum-palladium demand, largely going into catalytic converters. And of course, with increasing environmental standards in the first world and particularly adoption of new environmental standards in the, in the third world, in the developing world, that's really where the, the growth is going to continue to come out of. And while there are pockets of gold all over the planet, platinum and palladium are more rare. Yeah, kind of like diamonds, 
These things occur quite rarely around the planet. There are a few areas, southern Africa, some areas in Russia, and a couple of areas in North America. The Stillwater Mine is down in Montana. There's a mine up in Ontario, and then there's our project. It's a really short list of large deposits outside of southern Africa and Russia. One of the things about the Canadian Yukon is you've got all kinds of access to the property, and there are no political issues to speak of. Canada is a very mining-friendly jurisdiction, and the Yukon is considered one of the, the best mining jurisdictions within Canada. Our project is, is quite fortunate in that oftentimes, you know, in, in today's world for exploration, you're typically looking at two kinds of projects, either the very, very remote or the very politically high risk, and that's why these deposits are still in place. In this case, the Wellgreen deposit is in the Yukon, which you know is you know one of our kind of emerging regions in North America, but it's right off of the Alaska Highway, and we have a a year-round access road that comes right off that paved highway and have access to to two different port facilities we could use for the project. So it really is quite a unique situation that way in that, you know, it is in the the Canadian North, but rather than requiring exotic ice roads and other things to get there, we can drive right to the front door. How do you think your potentially significant assets are factored into the value of your stock currently? Any of your listeners that have been following the mining space know that we've been going through a bear market here for the last two and a half, you know, going on three years now. That's truly exceptional to see that length of correction. Some analysts think that maybe the bottom was put in late this summer and that things are are starting to turn. And certainly, you know, some of the bigger companies in particular are are well up off their lows. It is a, a market that has brought many of the valuations of these companies down you know, 50, 60, 90% uh, is not unusual. And so our company, along with others, are trading at extremely attractive valuation levels for investors to be looking at for the first time. It's an opportunity to be buying these things at, you know, a fraction of where they were trading just a year or two ago on the same fundamentals. And in our particular case, where the fundamentals are so much stronger for the platinum group metals with falling supply and rising demand, uh, which has actually created a, a deficit where today industrial demand exceeds mining supply, we've got a, a situation that I think is, is quite unique. And because of its favorable location and size of the deposit at over 7 million ounces of platinum metals is quite unique. Is that like a $10 billion asset potentially? If you do the in-the-ground metal value, which of course doesn't factor in the cost of building your mine and, and mining it, you are looking at numbers that are in the billions of dollars of metal value. Of course, you, you have to uh, invest the time and, and the engineering and you know, get your permits and, and build your things. So you've got a time factor, and then you know, you've also got the production costs. But because our particular project comes along with other metals, such as copper and nickel, uh, it would be a very low-cost operation. We're probably going to be producing platinum metal metal for you know, something around $800 an ounce. The industry average right now is, is closer to uh, $1,500 an ounce, but our margins would be quite good at uh, the current price of, of platinum, which is around $1,500. The industry margins are so low because up until this point, production is being done in Russia, South Africa, and Zimbabwe, where the PGMs are not open pitable or easily accessible, and the cost of labor and other issues are prohibitive. The geology of these deposits, in terms of where currently 80 or 90 percent of the world's production comes from, is such that these are fairly narrow zones, anywhere from a few feet wide up to maybe 10 feet wide, and typically mined at great depths. So these are not things that are easy to use equipment right at the surface, but instead, oftentimes, you see people 
mining a mile deep or more. The earth is very hot at those depths. You have to refrigerate the workings. It's very labor-intensive. It really can't be mechanized. And with rising labor costs, particularly in South Africa, very, very challenging working conditions and rising energy costs, it's really made it so that many of those mines are no longer economic at today's price of platinum. Now, that's not a very nice thing if you're that company and, and trying to make money, but it also means that you can't continue to have those prices without some of those mines shutting down. And it means those companies are not reinvesting into exploration. So it kind of sets up a situation where you could have an explosive rise in price due to continually falling supply from those high-cost mines and this rising demand where suddenly the market needs to reprice the metal in order to incentivize new projects to come on and, and any above-ground stockpiles to get sold into the market. I'm sure many of our listeners would like to know what your plan for the company moving forward is. Will you take Wellgreen into production, or do you intend on being a takeout candidate either for this project or for the entire company? We have a project here that, that could be a project that a small company such as ours could take to production. Ultimately, in order to really maximize the resource we have, this will probably be developed as a very large mine, and that would probably need a, a partner of some kind, either a smelting group or a major mining company. But we believe we have the team in place to be able to advance this project through feasibility and to de-risk the project and re-rate the valuation. And when we get to that point of production with our current plans, this is something that looks like that we could take forward, or because of its attractiveness, and the low political risk and low cost structure, it may be a very attractive either takeout candidate or partnership candidate for one of the major platinum mining companies. What kind of conversations are you having now with potential takeout or JV partnerships? We're about two years away from feasibility stage, and typically you see those kinds of transactions happen at you know, at least pre-feasibility or feasibility, sometimes at the current engineering stage we're at. So I think we've got a couple of years yet before we're likely to be you know, imminently taken out. But we are seeing strong interest from both producers of the metal, from the base metal side, as well as the PGMs. Uh, we've got a number of parties that are signing confidentiality agreements to review our information. And I think that's all very positive that the interest level is, is quite strong already at this at this stage and that that will likely continue to develop as we advance our engineering studies and demonstrate the viability of the project. So you're more excited than when I spoke with you a few months ago, and you were excited then. Well, you know, things have been progressing for us. The markets, uh, we were able to raise money late in the summer, and in this market, any money uh, that you can access is a real demonstration of the quality of your asset and your team. So yeah, we're quite excited about the project. We're quite excited about this new discovery and the implications that that could have, and looking forward to seeing more news come out over the next couple of months as we continue our, our exploration program this season. Well, Greg, you're trading at near 68 cents, which is less than half your 52-week high. So, in fact, this may be a potential buying opportunity. We certainly look forward to further updates from you down the road. Thanks so much for joining me today in the program. Well, we look forward to just speaking with you again on the next update. I've been speaking with Greg Johnson, the CEO of Prophecy Platinum, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NKL and in the U.S. on the OTCQX as PNIKF. You can listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by Xterra Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol XAG.V. Xterra plans to become a mid-tier producer of silver and base metals through the development of its Bilbao deposit located in the central Mexican mineral belt in the state of Zacatecas, as well as through additional exploration and acquisition opportunities. Find Xterra on the web at Xterra.ca. 
Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the Silver Guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is themorganreport.com. David, welcome to the program. Well, it's good to be with you. Well, our looming, uh, impending budget crisis seems to be at least postponed for the time being, and the Chinese have decided to uh, downgrade our credit rating, or at least a Chinese agency. Do they foresee something that's coming that's not pleasurable? Yes, indeed. It seems that our credit rating agencies that kind of were uh, had some pressure on them to not downgrade U.S. debt, but the Chinese, through their own agencies, said, you know what, these people are not being responsible, and therefore they deserve a downgrade. And try to be objective, I think they're right. I mean, the situation is destruction of the currency. I mean, there's two ways to get out of this. One is to default on the debt, which was all of the machinations that were going on up until recently, meaning that the debt limit wouldn't be raised, which we all knew it would be. But that's one way. He's default. So, nope, can't pay it. And the other way is to destroy the currency. So it gets paid, but it gets paid in a currency that becomes worthless over time. It's worth less and worth less and eventually gets to the point where you have a currency crisis or as Jimmy Wickard says, a currency wars. But what basically takes place as we've discussed many times is that the currency gets shunned and people, entities, nation states, etc. from the bottom up look for assets that hold their value, whether it's a jar of peanut butter, gold, silver, a business, a building or whatever, something tangible that cannot be depreciated at least the value is there by the very structure of it itself. So it is interesting times, as I like to say. Now, the Chinese have a bunch of our currency. They've collected it over the years in the form of buying our debt. And they also have an interest in boosting their own currency, and they've done everything they can to try and balance those two things out over the last few years in the hopes that our currency becomes, uh, what is the word, well, meaningless over time. How is this cakewalk working for them? How are they able to pull off both? Are they willing to risk uh, losing the equity they have with us? Well, I've thought about it a great deal. Here's my take. That amount of debt that the Chinese have bought, for the most part, has really been recycled a great deal. I mean, they've gone in, they've bought a lot of assets in the ground, mining situations, energy situations, some that they've been uh, turned back on. There was one in uh, area off their coast that was, for security reasons, the U.S. wouldn't let them have it. But anyway, the point being is that they have put a lot of that cash to work. And so they do have real assets even though they still hold a great deal of the debt. So in a scenario of a thought experiment only, let's be clear on this, but let's just say, poof, the bond market went to zero overnight. That's not going to happen, but let's just do that as a thought experiment. What did they get? Well, during the process of buying all of this debt, they really did use it to a great degree, again, to buy assets in the ground, energy, and to build infrastructure in their own country. So it's not like they just sat there and held it, not saying that it isn't on their balance sheet, it is, but what I'm implying or suggesting to consider is that a lot of that money has gone to expand their economic base in a significant way, and as we see as, you know, putting on my Austrian hat, a great deal of misallocation of capital, as we've talked about before on your show, is, you know, they have these massive real estate projects that are basically ghost towns that haven't really been populated because of price, location, whatever, people can't afford them for the most part. So a lot of it has gone into the economy. So I look at it like if everything collapsed, did they get the use of that money? 
And I would say objectively, yeah, they maybe didn't use it all, but they did use a great deal of it. The problem is, how do you get rid of you know the rest of it or whatever? And the answer is, you may not be able to. I mean, once the bond bubble is pierced, and I think it has been, then you've got to be careful how you get out of the market because you don't want to spook the market, like any market. I mean, if you have a great big position in a certain stock and you hold, let's say, 5 or 10% of that given stock, you cannot dump that whole amount on the market or you drive the price down significantly. And, of course, going off on a tangent here, that's what happens in the gold and silver market from time to time. I mean, there's these massive positions that are sold in one keystroke, and, of course, it drives the price down. Well, the same thing would happen in any market. So you have to be careful to sell it slowly over time and not make waves, so to speak. Well, the same thing, of course, in the bond market. Again, I think that it's not as bad on the debt holders as it might appear. Yes, they hold it on their balance sheet, but a lot of that money has been used in the market for various purposes. Are they in no position, if they wanted to, to bail us out again? Yeah, they probably could. But, uh, you know, the, the main premise that some seem to miss, and it's, I forget the name of the book, one of my friends from Canada said, you got to read this, you need to read this book and come to a different conclusion, or at least think about a different conclusion, and I didn't get too far in the book, but basically the premise of the book was, you know, all this stuff has happened in the past, we had the savings and loan crisis in the 90s, and they restructured the debt, and, you know, so many shopping centers and homes that were overvalued, and this is like a repeat of what we've just seen in 2007, 2008, but uh, not to the level that it happened recently, and it all write it out and the government came in made these stipulations and gathered up this debt and, and restructured it and life went on but the presupposition here is that the government can take care of it no matter what which is invalid the valid view is that governments do fail I mean if you look at the Roman Empire it failed and so the whole presupposition of this book was that government can take care of it no matter what happens and that's invalid that is not correct history proves it distinctly inaccurate governments do fail I mean, if you look at the basic truth, it's very simple. What's the government? The government is the ability to reach into your back pocket and keep itself sustained, even if they have to come in a gun and take it from you. Well, when there's nothing left, left to take, the system has failed, and that's the point we're approaching. Mathematically, we've already hit a point of no return, not so much on the current net value of today, the way this fictitious accounting is calculated, but if you look at what the obligations are out in the future and you do it on a normal accounting basis, there's not enough money out there to take care of what the promises are going out for the unpaid balances of Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, pension plans, the military, and on infinitum. So we're broke. And who's responsible for that? Well, most of these are government-sponsored programs or direct payments or transfer payments, I should say. So you can take all of the capital base that exists and keep paying for a while, and you're going to run out of money. And that's what, where we're at. That's exactly where we're at. So in a sense, mathematically, we've already failed, but we haven't recognized it in the marketplace. The markets are still acting as if either it can be overcome, we can grow our way out of it, or some other solution will come at hand. But basically, it's going to take what would happen in any bankruptcy, and that is a restructuring of the debt. And what that means is that we need to basically sit down like adults and say, this can't be paid, and here's what we're going to do. And that day is ahead of us. And whether Jim Rickards is correct, that we'll go back, or he says hope, I don't want to put words in his mouth, and I don't read all the stuff, by the way, but I think he has a very balanced and, and historical perspective. 
either go back on a gold standard or maybe don't. And hopefully you will, or some type of gold standard, you know, a gold cover clause or whatever, and you have some stability, or perhaps you don't. And if you don't, game's open. I don't think there's a Bretton Woods coming out to head this off at the pass. In other words, I don't think that there's going to be a currency reorganization on a global basis like a Bretton Woods 2 before the problem manifests to the level where it's a crisis. My take is that governments are not proactive, they're reactive. So my take from history and the way I see things going is that after there's a major crisis, either in the bond market or bond markets or currency or whatever, then there'll be some type of Bretton Woods too. The powers that be will sit down and there'll be some restructuring. But at that time, it may be too late, meaning that you know, there might be so much disruption on a global basis that it might be very hard to get Genie back in the bottle, so to speak. So really, to my thinking, it would be better to intervene now. You're getting massive hints. I mean, with this downgrade from China, it's sort of a slap in the face and a wake-up call. I mean, people may not like it, or maybe they do. From my perspective, it's a slap in the face to say, wake up, look what you're doing. It's time to, again, this is my version, sit down at the table globally, renegotiate what's going on with these international markets, because we all, all are tied to each other. It is a global market. And what are we going to do to rectify this? What are we going to do to get this debt restructured where we can you know, move forward instead of pretending like, again, we can grow our way out of this or we can do something about it when really the reality is you cannot, not in this current form. If the government's broke, what's next? Are the bank's going broke or they foresee something worse coming along that they're protecting their assets for potentially? Might there be a bank run? The reason why I'm going down this road is there was an article posted on Infowars.com affiliated with Alex Jones and some people take him with a grain of salt. That was reposted on the Drudge Report, one of the most well-trafficked internet websites, news resource websites in the world. And it seems it, it's true that after November 17th, one will not be able to wire money out of the country on a business account and anything more than $50,000 worth of cash transactions are not going to be allowed to occur in many business-related accounts with one of the largest banks in the world. Very scary. read the article a couple times. I did see it on Alex Jones, and of course, as you say, it's been posted on the Drudge Report. This is basically currency control. It's your money, but you can only do with it as we say. I mean, this goes back to the 2000 crisis in Argentina, which I urged all of my members and the public because I did it in both venues, to watch the empty ATM. You can type the empty ATM into Google search engine, and I think you can watch it for free. It was a PBS public broadcasting system documentary on actual facts. So in the Argentine situation, you could have X amount of money in the bank. The bank said, we're not closing. There's no bank run. Your money is there. But here's the deal. You can only withdraw this much per week, no matter what. So as an example, you could have 25,000 quote-unquote dollars, their currency, in the bank, but you're only allowed to withdraw 200 per week. Well, let's say that your mortgage payment's 1,000 a month, so the most you can get out is 800. How are you going to make that $1,000 payment? How are you going to buy food and utilities and make your mortgage payment? It can't be done. So this is a very similar situation. They're not saying that the money in your account isn't there. What they're saying is the money in your account is totally under our control up to a limit of 50000 and that's all you can have. Oh, this is absolute total Orwellian nightmare manifest in the reality. It's your money, quote-unquote, I put quotes around your, because it's under their control. It's like your dad and you're a teenager saying your savings account is X amount, but I own it, and you get $20 a week allowance. 
That's it. Doesn't that pretty much kind of kill free enterprise, David? Well, the repercussions are unknown, but I agree with you. I mean, if you think it through, what does this really, really mean? And I mean, I could give you 10 scenarios, and you could give me 10, and it's probably going to come out differently, but certainly it's, it's stifling to what it will do in the marketplace, and it's a scary thing. And then to pre-announce it like this, most of the time, in my opinion, when these type of things take place, they're done on what I call a trial balloon basis, meaning these signals are given in the marketplace, and then the powers that be, the city banks at all, come back and look and see what the market's reaction to it will be. And based on that, then they make an adjustment if necessary. So I'm not getting totally worked up over at the current time. It is in the future. It's November 17th, but I'm definitely watching the markets closely to see what the reaction will be, as I think they are as well. So whatever actually happens on November 17th or thereabouts may not be as severe as what is being laid out for us to sort of taste right now. Well, you can rest assured that the real powerful elite will have exemptions. I mean, there will be certain corporations that can do any amount that they want, and probably some very wealthy individuals can do whatever they want. But for the peon class, for the 99%, this will hold. I mean, this is, again, theoretical because it hasn't been implemented, and we're not at that date. But nonetheless, it'll be interesting to see how this manifests and what happens between now and then. Well, I don't know where to go with this. I think we could, as you mentioned, lay out 10 different scenarios and talk about this for another half an hour so let's just leave it be and take a look at how the markets are reacting today and by the markets I mean the metals markets to the news we've had that everything seems to be okay for a little while uh, that means that uh, money will continue to be pumped into the system and the debt ceiling has been raised and gold and silver are up and that brings us to the uh, silver summit should it be a good one well, the Silver Summit it should be a good one. I mean, it's trying times for metals investors. It has been the last two years. No one makes light of that topic. But I think there's going to be a great debate going on between Jeff Christian and Bill Murphy. We, the Silver Summit, have invited Jeff, who's, from my perspective, more an establishment perspective, and Bill Murphy, one of the most outspoken entities out there, you know, GATA, on gold manipulation, silver manipulation as well. So I think it'll be very, very not only entertaining, but perhaps enlightening for the audience. Hopefully it'll be filmed and available on YouTube or something like that because I'm sure that there's a vast audience out there in the worldwide, really, that would like to see point-counterpoint, so to speak. So I think that's a big draw for people that want to see it live. And, of course, there's the mining companies and there'll be other speakers talking about all things silver, but that's much bigger than that. I mean, basically, the Eric's brought lectures the last couple of years have been basically about what we just talked about, the banking crisis. Why would you keep money in a bank? Banks are not safe. They're not sound. The Greek situation could happen, and on and on, you know, referring to the bail-ins. It's a venue that covers economy. It covers gold. It covers silver. It covers other resources. But the primary focus is, is primarily silver, and the gamut is covered. I mean, you've got the very conservative or, again, establishment type of views, as well as some of the more arcane, such as Bix Weir and his Ro Garuda theory, which is quite an interesting perspective on the markets. And I try to stay open-minded on all of it. Certainly, I don't have all the answers. As I get older, probably more questions than answers. But nonetheless, it is a very unique show. It's one of a kind. It's developed that way, and it's one that I'm very happy to participate in. It's really fascinating. This whole government banking crisis is just 
boosting something you've said all along. It's a case for accumulating physical silver and gold. And one of my friends who just happens to be pretty savvy as, as an individual investor, a private investor, it's not what she does for a living, but she's been successfully shorting and reaccumulating silver. She's done very well during these last few weeks. Well, I've been in the silver market for you know, 40 years or so. And the reason that I started this advanced service so many years ago is because knowing the volatility of the metals, and particularly silver, from my view, you're really going against it if you buy and hold only, especially on the shares. In other words, it behooves you to try and trade part of your position, and that's what I do. But some people aren't bent for that, and the best thing for them to do is take a very long-term perspective and dollar-cost average. But for those that can't time the market with some accuracy, and none of them are perfect at it, I've made more good calls than bad that never been perfect and no one is, you can definitely take advantage of some of these swings. And psychologically, it's beneficial to your mindset because it's like, okay, this market is overbought. You know, I can sell the paper back to them. I call beating the bankers at their own game. And you can take those paper profits and recycle it into physical metal. And I've done that several times on the way up. Certainly hasn't been that easy on the way down. And I did call the top at 48. I know I've said that probably too many times. And basically bought puts or urged many of our members to do that. My big mistake was to not roll those things over again and again and again and keep that hedge on two or three years out, which is probably would have been, looking in hindsight, the best thing I could have done. I only kept them on for several months, but certainly not years, which is, again, what should have taken place or could have taken place. It would have been more beneficial. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by Xterra Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol XAG.V. Xterra is a Toronto-based resource company, and their primary project is the Bilbao Silver-Zinc-Lead-Copper Deposit, situated in the Panfio Natera district of Zacatecas, Mexico, approximately 50 kilometers south of the state capital of Zacatecas, where Xterra is currently completing a bankable feasibility study. Between the company's Bilbao, Laguna, and Panfio projects, Xterra has a resource of 100 million silver equivalent ounces, including 33 million ounces silver in 43101 compliant resource. Zacatecas is a well-known mining district with infrastructure in place. Mining opportunities are both open pit and underground. There are no significant environmental issues, and there is an available local workforce there, as well as goods and services for development of the projects. You can find a full investor prospectus on Xterra's website. Just log on to xterra.ca or find their logo and click through on the homepage of our website, ellismartreport.com. And we're back. To follow you and subscribe to everything that you're paying attention to, at least publicly, we can do so through Twitter, through YouTube, and of course, subscribe to your service on themorganreport.com. Yes. The easiest thing to do is just go to the website, silver-investor.com, and get on our free email list. When you do that, you get a 30-day free trial to the members-only portion of the website. There's too much to talk about. Once you're in, you can see for yourself all the special reports, the mining reports, the Morgan Report itself, the videos, some of the trades we've made, and on and on. And again, that's free for 30 days. So I recommend anyone that's interested in these markets, have a free look. David, thanks so much for joining us today. A great discussion this morning. Thank you. I've been speaking with analyst and newsletter writer David Morgan. His website is themorganreport.com. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartreport.com.
The preceding segment has been sponsored by Exchere Incorporated, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol XAG.V. Exchere plans to become a mid-tier producer of silver and base metals through the development of its Bilbao deposit located in the central Mexican mineral belt in the state of Zacatecas, as well as through additional exploration and acquisition opportunities. Find Exchere on the web at exchere.ca. Want to make money in resource stocks? Stay informed with Resource World Magazine, covering the latest developments in mining, oil, and gas and alternative energy. Subscribe now to save half off the newsstand price. Simply visit resourceworldmag.com or call 604-484-3800. Or pick up the latest edition at select book and magazine outlets. Resource World Magazine, your insight into the world of resource investment. What? It's over. No, it can't be true. What will I do? What will I say? What? Oh, oh, this. Join us next time for the Ellis Martin Report. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and individuals pay us to let you hear all about themselves. Then they run right back to work and get jiggy with getting busy. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of these powerful programs free on the web at ellismartinreport.com. The Ellis Martin Report is a unit of Big Sky Productions Incorporated. Ciao, babies. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.